Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us today at Full Metal Pod. This is episode 27. I'm Jason. And I'm Jimmy. So, Jimmy, how was your weekend or really your past week? Oh, man. My past week has been, I think, productive for my hobbies and unproductive for getting actual things done. Uh, kind of a boring week, I guess. Yeah, not too much um, craziness going on. Work was pretty steady. Um, I just bought a GoPro, so I don't know what I'm gonna. I'm, I want to make some like kind of videos, so hopefully I can figure all that out. I'm very technologically um, whatever. I'm not technologically inclined. Yeah. I had a GoPro years ago and I have not had one since. It's kind of fun. If, I mean, I've seen people do like video podcasts or vlogs with them and stuff, but it seems like most often it's used for like, hey, I'm going to go scuba diving or I'm going to go uh, paddle boarding or I'm going to rock climb. Like that seems to be the major use case. Maybe this will encourage me to go out and scuba dive and rock climb and paddleboard. It's like the push I needed. Yeah, that's why I bought mine was to for scuba diving and skiing. But then I was like, eh, I re- after my trip, I barely used it. And I have a cousin who goes rock climbing often. So I was like, well, here you go. You can have this. I'm sure you'll get more use out of it than I will. Like, like they go rock climbing on like real like mountains not like indoor rock climbing uh both they go rock climbing indoor like almost i mean i don't know how COVID has affected them but i know prior to the shutdown they did it pretty much daily almost and then uh they take trips every now and again to different national parks or whatever and do climbing there that's really cool maybe this yeah, maybe I'll take the GoPro out and I'll climb a, a mountain. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna climb a mountain. I've never done like well, indoor rock climbing I have, but I've never done like actual rock climbing outside and on a rock or whatever. I've seen people do it, like you know, if you go to the Green Belt in Austin, there's some parts where you'll see a lot of people doing that, but I've never been the one to do it. I isn't there a Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where he's a rock climber, or is it Sylvester Stallone? Uh, it's uh, like, Stallone Cliffhanger, I believe, is what it's called. Yes, when I think of rock climbing, I think of Cliffhanger. Yeah, or that Tom. Which Mission Impossible had Tom Cruise rock climbing? Like at the beginning, I can't remember. I want to say it's the second one, but I'm probably wrong. I don't know. All Mission Impossible is like blur into one like long mission impossible to me because it's it's always tom cruise and other people true uh i can't remember where i think it was on a podcast it was probably the cinema sense podcast or something they were talking about the uh problem with mission impossible over time like towards the beginning of its run it was more about the team like hey this is the team that kind of handles all the impossible missions and everything like that. Then as time progressed, it really just became about Tom Cruise or Ethan Hunt. And I'm like, uh, yeah, everybody else is just kind of a background character to him. Yeah, that is true. I feel like the first movie was like him avenging his team. Cause 
I don't like. I guess spoilers for Mission Impossible One. Like his whole team dies in the beginning, and he's got to create a new team. Am I right, or is I'm I thinking of something else? Uh, I honestly cannot remember, but that might be it. I just I know because I'm a big Mighty Ducks movie fan, which makes me a fan of Emilio Estevez, and he's in Mission Impossible One, and he's a part of Tom Cruise's original team. And he gets squished in an elevator. Like, he's on the top of the elevator. And it goes all the way up, and he gets squished. And I always think about that. Like, every time I watch Mighty Ducks now, I always think about him getting squished. And, like, as a kid, that haunted me. Even though I'm riding inside the elevator, I'm like, can I get squished in here? Yeah. I remember... I remember those days being young and when you like would see something on TV and you'd wonder if it would happen to you. Then when you get older, you just don't care anymore. Like you'd watch. I don't know if I was just like a super paranoid kid or whatever, but I would watch like uh, like these docudramas or these uh, like uh, like your dateline and whatnot. And you'll see people who like fall asleep uh and then like there's a gas leak and they die and stuff. So I was always like, oh, no, that's going to happen to me. And like I, freak out. I do have a funny story. My dad really loved the show America's Most Wanted. And we would always watch it uh, when I was growing up. And as a kid, one of the episodes fell on Christmas Eve. And on Christmas Eve, uh, America's Most Wanted like did this like emergency thing. And they were like, just be on the lookout. There's like a man flying around. Um, it's a house to house coming through chimneys. I don't know why America's Most Wanted to this, but they were talking about Santa Claus, of course, but it freaked me out as a child. I was like, someone's going to come through a chimney and he's going to rob us. He's probably going to murder us. So I just remember as a child, America's Most Wanted Santa Claus prank terrified me. Yeah, that and what show was it? Um, Unsolved Mysteries. There was just something very unsettling about it. Like, I go back and watch it now as an adult, and it's like, whatever. But when I was a kid, yeah, that could creep me out. Yeah, especially the alien stuff. When they would do alien stuff on Unsolved Mysteries, it's like, you can't control that. They just, like, take you when you're sleeping. Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Child me was... Television was made to scare child me. Same, because like I didn't have any of like that higher reasoning or whatever where I can say, oh yeah, this is all just made up, or there's holes in this story or whatnot. Like when yeah, when I was younger too, when the internet first you know started to become a bigger thing, or in my house we started to get internet, and we'd find like all those videos with ghosts, so to speak, and whatnot. And like you know, high school me kind of thought there might be some truth to it, but then of course adult me is just like whatever somebody made a somebody made an interesting flash video and told me it was a ghost oh i don't know i know my parents loved scaring me so they like fed into it uh i just remember one birthday um i had like a birthday party and all my cousins showed up it was like a slumber party and i think i was like six or seven and my dad was like you guys are old enough you can watch child's play which is the Chucky movie, if our listeners don't know. So we watched the Chucky movie. But for that birthday, my aunt gave me a My Buddy doll. 
And if you're not familiar, my buddy doll looks like Chucky. So it freaked me out. And what, that night when I fell asleep, my dad put the my buddy doll in a chair next to my bed. And he tied a butter knife to it. So when I woke up, that's the first thing I saw. And I, I lost my mind. That's just evil. There's there's playing pranks, and then there's like just being a terrible person and scaring a kid with a knife in a doll's hand after they watch child's play. That's just evil. But the the other funny thing that happened was I freaked out and I took the, my buddy doll and I threw him in the trash can. And then I went out, you know, during the day and played with my cousins and whatnot. Well, my mom found it in the trash can. She didn't know what was going on. So she takes it out of the trash can and puts it back in my room. So after I come out from playing, I come back to my room. The doll is sitting in my room. Long story short, we had to give it back to my aunt because I couldn't be in the house with it anymore. Something similar to that happened to my friend um, in high, high school, middle school. I can't remember when. I uh, remember when The Ring first came out, like the very first Ring, not that remake they had a few years ago or whatever. Yeah, um, where she comes out of the TV, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I remember when that came out, my a few of my friends saw it. One in particular saw it, and he couldn't like he used to have a TV in his room where he'd play video games or whatever. Like he couldn't keep the TV in his room anymore. Like he was so freaked out. Then when I finally saw it, I was like, "It's not that bad." So it was it was a weird thing. Like it, it had this weird buildup for me because everybody was talking about how terrifying it was. And when I actually saw it, I was like. Okay. Is it weird that when I saw it, I was like thinking about who I would show the video to if I saw it? Like, who am I going to pass it down to? Like, that's my thought. I, is that weird? I mean, I think it's somewhat normal, like, to think, hey, if this scenario ever happened in real life, what would you do? Like, I don't think it's if you were thinking about it unprompted, that'd probably be a little weird. But like after seeing the movie, it's probably fine. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't want to go down. So I'm sure I mean, you could show it to someone, let them know and they could show it. So like, I guess we could just keep passing it down until it gets to like the last person in the world. Or just do like they did in the, um, the Truth or Dare movie and like send it to everybody on the planet on YouTube or whatnot and force everybody to watch it. Yeah, what a weird like if if any of our listeners haven't watched the Truth or Dare movie, don't watch it. It's not good. But but it is like that main character is supposed to be like this righteous person. And at the end she like sacrifices the entire world, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, spoiler for a movie, but I'm guarantee- I'm pretty confident that people who wanted to it's like what, three years old, people who wanted to see it probably already seen it by now. Yeah, yeah, I would say even if you haven't seen it, like pass on uh, Truth or Dare and just watch like a classic movie, like Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday thirteenth. You know, save yourself and like go for some eighties horror. Yep. Speaking about horror, we had quite a bit of it in this episode. You want to jump in? Yeah, I'm ready. So this is probably the closest to a horror episode we're going to get in Full Metal. Although, technically, I guess 
a lot of things were horror horror ish like the uh eye opening and pulling people in but anyway we're going to talk about episode 51 the immortal legion and episode 52 uh let me see what's 52 called oh combined strength uh let's start with episode 51 so the monsters, which we'll now know are called mannequins, awaken, and it pretty much goes as well as you think it would. They are essentially just a mindless horde of zombies, and they proceed to kill the general that oh, that woke them up. And as they're eating the general, the scientist is kind of, he's just like, what's going on? And they, you know, they look, they stop chewing on the the. the General, they look at the scientists and they're like, oh no. Uh, and then they walk up to him and try to eat him. He shoots them, but then it's clear that they can't be killed uh, because they're not, I mean, they're not entirely human. Like they look human, but they, they, it's like they're solid on the inside. They don't actually have organs or whatever. Uh, and naturally uh, they kill the scientists. Ed and team wind up in the area where Al, Hawkeye, and Mustang fought Lust. Uh, they see Barry the Chopper's metal body on the ground. Ed tries to force open this large door with really no luck. Uh, soon the door opens itself up and we see a sea of mannequins come out. Olivier has taken a general hostage and she is confronted by some soldiers. She tells the soldiers to pull back and for the general to tell them to leave her alone. Instead, the general gives them the order to seal the command center and not let any of the brig soldiers in. Olivier is a little, uh, you know, a little impressed by his having a spine. And shortly after, this general is killed by Sloth. Sloth was aiming for Olivier, but she was able to dodge at the last minute. Father had ordered Sloth to kill her. Olivier thanks Sloth uh, for taking care of the general and essentially removing competition for her, and she prepares to fight. Ed's team are fighting the mannequins. It is pretty obvious that they are effectively immortal. Uh, nothing seems to stop them. Uh, one yells out Big Brother, which makes Ed realize that they are powered with philosopher stones with human souls, which makes Ed like not happy at all to say the least and then from there they realize that you know this is not a good situation these things are effectively immortal they're not human and there are a bunch of them and they realize that they have quite a conundrum because if they wind up escaping to the city well then everybody might you know die because there's no way they can deal with it so ed uses his alchemy to seal off the exits so that they can keep fighting them, but prevent them from getting to the surface. And everybody gets ready for a crazy battle. We see Heinkel hanging outside of the big dome prison thing that they created. Uh, Al says that Salim has been playing with Al's head, and it's really getting on Heinkel's nerves. But then Heinkel realizes that Salim is actually tapping out Morse code, and he's given out his location. Shortly, we see Kimberly show up, and he uses his destructive alchemy to let Kim uh, let Salim out. Mei Chang is in the tunnels, running away from mannequins. 
In the process of running, she loses the jar that has Envy, and he is eaten by one of the mannequins. But this actually allows Envy to consume the mannequin's Philosopher's Stone, and then he starts to merge with other mannequins, all being created from Philosopher's Stones, and it allows him to come back to his normal form. Uh, we see that there are some soldiers in Kanama, no one's sure why, and Marco and Yoki are a little concerned. We jump back to uh, Salim and, well, Pride Salim, and he's telling Kimberly that he ate gluttony. Kimberly is a little, you know, confused by that, but then Pride explains, hey, we were all created by Father, so we're all kind of one, and so really it's not me eating, it's just consuming him back into my being. And Kimberly's a little, uh, interested in all this. Al tries to save Heinkel, who is now seriously injured from Kimberly's attack. And Pride just grabs onto his legs, uh, legs uh, being Alphonse's. Alphonse uses alchemy to create a dust cloud for cover, and he separates himself from his legs so that he can escape. Jumping back to Central, Olivier is fighting Sloth one-on-one. She is handling herself, but not making a dent because, well, he's a homunculus. Soldiers show up to kill Olivier, but are distracted by Sloth, and ultimately he winds up attacking them as they are kind of dumbfounded. Olivier grabs a bomb that they brought in and throws it at him. She hides behind a pillar, and, of course, Sloth is unhurt. He shows up and grabs Olivier from behind, squeezing the life out of her. All of a sudden, Alex shows up to save her, so the two Armstrong siblings team up to fight the homunculus. Al is back dragging Heinkel to safety, but he is unable to make much ground as Al really doesn't have his legs. Heinkel wants Al to just leave him behind. Al refuses to let, leave him to die. Al doesn't want to let him die or, you know, save his life to let him not be able to move forward. And so Heinkel's just kind of, I guess, amazed by this tenacity that Al has. And he also realizes that they do not stand a chance against Kimberly and Pride in this state. So Alphonse is dedicated to just keep going, not let anybody die. So Heinkel gives Al the Philosopher's Stone he found a while back in that mining town. He says that Alphonse appreciates the life of the souls in the stone. Even though Alphonse is like against using a Philosopher's Stone, he says, fine, don't use a Philosopher's Stone to get your body back. But because you see them as humans, you should give them one last chance to fight against the people who did this to them and give them one last chance to fight to protect people. The episode ends with Al using the stone to repair his body and begin to fight. And of course, the uh, end credits play like right as Al gets into the pose. So it's pretty, pretty epic. What were your takeaways, Jimmy? I I liked this episode. It was um, I, I I like this episode a lot, just because of kind of all all the storylines going on, and I love being able to jump back and forth because it's a lot of I love it when there's a lot of action in, in an anime, and this this episode's giving us a lot of things going on. Yeah, I mean, as things are starting to move forward and people are starting to get closer and more action is happening, yeah, it's definitely that case. And I do like the lot is happening. I did like the the horror 
aspect of it with the mannequins who are just like, I mean, they're effectively zombies. Like if, if you told me that like this was walking dead or something, they're, they're zombies without like the dead look, like they're not bloody all over or anything or rotting flesh, but yeah, it, it was just, it was definitely horrific. It's trying to see everybody trying to escape them. Like, you know, Mei Chang, I feel the worst for because she's in a tunnel by herself, effectively by them. So she had the element of darkness. Like at least when Olivier and them, or not Olivier, but uh, when Ed and them were fighting the mannequins, it was in a brightly lit room. Granted, there's like, a, you know, because it's a wide open room, they get to see more of them and just see like how screwed they are by the mass amount of them that exist out there. But at least they can't be caught by surprise. But yeah, just seeing how everybody's handling all of that. And then, of course, finally getting to see the Armstrong siblings team up to fight. Oh, yeah. I I think we've all been waiting for this moment to see uh, brother and sister Armstrong uh, kind of go at it uh, against Sloth, which is like... a. Wh- I don't know. Do you think Sloth is stronger than Pride? Uh, in terms of just brute strength, I say yes. In terms of, uh, I guess in terms of raw power, I want to say no. Like, I think if the fight came down to uh, Pride and um, just drew a blank on his name. If the fight came down to like Pride and Sloth, I think Pride would ultimately win. But I think it's also because Pride has... Like Pride's power seems to be largely in the fact that he has those tendrils that can move indefinitely and they're super sharp. But I think in terms of just like raw brute strength, I think Sloth is stronger. And it seems like, I don't know, at least to me, Sloth is uh, more functioning now. He's like talking more and um, doing things. He's kind of... When we first met Sloth, it was very, uh, like, a Sloth-like thing. He's, like, not moving fast and not saying too much. Now it's, like, he's got sentences going on, it feels like. Yeah. Uh, We really haven't seen much of him in the series, to be honest. Like, he's just kind of been... We've seen him in, like, a few episodes in Briggs and passing mentions of him because his job has been pretty much to dig that tunnel. Like, it's not like he's they don't give him much else to do. So outside of seeing him dig the tunnel, it's like, yeah, now we finally have him being used for something. And my guess is that father doesn't want to get his hands dirty. Most of his homunculi are gone. So sloth is the one that he's using to, to handle, uh, handle Olivier. Well, probably because she, he realizes that if they send soldiers after her, she'll be able to handle them one way or another, either, out with them or just straight on kill them or Briggs soldiers might get them or something like that. But yeah, Sloth being a homunculus, uh, it's not going to be an easy fight for him, for her, for anybody really. I do find it a little strange uh, since Olivier's already fought Sloth once back in Briggs. Uh, and, you know, she shot, I don't know what they were like, giant bullets at him remember she yeah. was in the tank and she shot those giant bullets at him 
it's kind of interesting. Like those did not like rip through his body back there in Briggs. They kind of just hit him and slowed him down a little bit. It was like, I guess throwing pebbles, not something more than a pebble, but they weren't fatal shots. So I, I wish she would have come up with a different approach. It just seemed like she was going to go head to head with him, you know, fighting style, but she's encountered this guy before and she knows what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. But she also doesn't, probably doesn't have access to the same type of material. Like the only reason they won in Briggs fighting was because they had the tanks and they had the cold and they had that fuel and whatnot. Whereas here she just pretty much has like a gun and a sword. So, and she loves to fight. So I think she's just like, it's, she's just not the type to, to, to run from a battle. So I think the minute she saw, sees Sloth, even though she knows she doesn't have a chance, rather than running and having him lumbering after her, trying to catch and kill her, he just wants to, or she just wants to fight him. Yeah, I, I mean, options are very limited at this point. He just, like, smushed a guy in front of her. Uh, so she doesn't... You know, there's not too much places to run. Yeah, like he'll he will keep looking for her and whatnot. So either she has to deal with him or or keep hiding. And knowing her personality, she's not going to hide. And I, I'm loving her personality, and I feel like we've just like amped it up to an eleven now because uh, she was always intense, but now she's like super intense. She's got the the other general as a hostage. She stabs his foot. And she's like provoking these other soldiers being like, you know, you either do it or you don't do it. Like, what side are you on? You can't just kind of be in this uh, gray area. You know, she's very black and white. I think she respects people who are on either side. Like, she respects because when the general was like, lock the doors. Uh, don't let anyone in. She respected him for that. And I think she respects people who know exactly what they want. And it's this like gray area that she really. Yeah. Like she just stains this great area. Yeah. I think Olivier does respect strength like that because, you know, I think she just likes. I think she's about loyalty is really what it boils down to loyalty to her country, loyalty to her team. So I think she finds a lot of those people disgusting because they, they waver on their loyalty. The generals are willing to sacrifice their own people. Um, of course the soldiers seem to be very indecisive, like the central soldiers and don't seem to be able to make a decision. And I think that really irritates her. So yeah, I think she respects that that the soldier was able or the general was able to make like a decisive decision that may have resulted in him dying. I think that's what she respected. And speaking about uh, generals kind of like sacrificing their own people, that general in the beginning, it's like, I don't know. Um, I had a question like, father, do we know him? Does everyone know him as father? So, so when the mannequins are like, are they, they're calling out like father, or like daddy or something like that. And he's like, yes, that's me. I'm your father. 
it, does he not think like there's an actual person that we know that everyone calls father and it possibly could be like they're talking to this guy yeah i don't know he's the, the, the general seemed to think like it was one of those you know imprinting things like when uh you know they say like when a baby is born like a baby dog or whatever if it sees you then it imprints on you and yeah i think i feel like that's kind of what they were going for um that maybe he figured oh they imprinted on me so they're going to you know they see me as their father going to listen but i don't i don't i I don't they might have just been yelling (laughs) um just random phrases like when they yell big brother later on in the episode they're they're seen as being kind of mindless because i and that general like jumped the gun too he's like ah what a success this was a success these these soldiers they listen to us and they obey and they're just like gonna follow all our orders and we we won the war and he says that like the second after they kind of come to life he's very jumping the gun this guy and he paid the price for it uh yeah he did because i think all he was thinking was hey we're losing we need more more fighters and yeah, just jump the gun. Even though, like in the previous episode, we just see the scientists warn and say, hey, you can't do that. It's not going to, these haven't been tested. And he's just like, oh, whatever. Like, there's no better test than now. And yeah, he paid the I, price. I do feel bad for that scientist guy. But, you know, and this is like a message to everyone out there. You know, just run away. You don't have to watch to see what happens. You know, if you feel uneasy, just run away. That scientist guy should have just ran away as soon as those things like fell out because if, if it was a success you know they would have all walked out in single file line he would have been like i guess you're right it was a success and if it goes sideways like it did he would already been out of the room and gonna run away faster yeah well you know they say like you know they talk about fight and flight or fight versus flight they say that in real life there's fight versus flight versus um freeze so i'm guessing he was like in the freeze category there I would like to say I'm a, a a flight person. In this situation, I would hope I'd be a flight person. But you know what? I, I might be a freeze person. A lot. I I've never seen anyone eat alive, so I don't know how I react. Yeah, I think it's reasonable to say a lot of people would probably freeze. Though some would probably. I don't know who would fight. I'm sure. I'm sure people would either be a freeze or a run. Unless you're Olivier. True. She would probably go and try to take them hands hands on. Oh yeah, I I was on the fence about her character, and then now I'm really enjoying her. She adds this other dimension that we didn't have with the, like our core group. Yep. And Winry's getting upset at something. Yeah, I do like that. I like the Olivier's um, personality that she's just so hardcore and whatnot. Like she just all she can think about is the fight and the and the duty and whatnot. True. And we get another character's kind of return as Envy comes back. Yeah, he does. Which now I'm like, do yeah, and now I'm like. Do all of the homunculus know, like, we can just meet each other and we get stronger? I think they probably have deductive reasoning for it. Like, I don't, like, 
we don't really see many of the homunculi consuming other ones, but we know Envy, like, in an episode or two prior, he was talking about if he could just get to Central and get a Philosopher's Stone, he can return to normal. So I guess he figured that part out. Um, yeah, I think Pride's kind of the only one we see consume another homunculus, which is interesting, but I, I don't know. Maybe they all don't know that, or maybe they're all just too loyal to do it, and Pride's, well, prideful, so he thinks that he is more deserving of life and therefore he is justified in killing his own kind. It is, it is a sight to see envy, uh, consume all these mannequins, uh, to kind of become envy again. Yeah. Yep. Now he's back, which is going to make it interesting because now they get to fight envy. Like we we are we're led to believe that we're done with envy, but and he's I hope back. May doesn't feel bad about this. I mean, it is kind of her fault, but she was tricked into it. Yeah, she she was manipulated for sure because I think she's definitely very single thought, uh, single track mind. She's what she wants to do is, you know, win. Uh, not win, but uh, get yeah, I get, yeah, essentially. She wants to win this contest, so to speak, to be the next emperor so that she can save her clan. So I don't think she thinks much beyond that. And so when Envy said, hey, there is still this secret to immortality out there, uh, you know, she was all ears. Yeah. And uh, though I do enjoy, I think she is a great fighter. So it is, it's this weird, like, double-edged sword of, she did bring Envy back, and now Envy has his body back. But she's in Central now, and I think she'd be a great addition. You know, some more firepower that uh, our team needs to kind of take on Father. Yeah. Yeah, she she will be a good part of the team, and it's, it's nice to have her back, because I did like having her, and so this whole idea that she was going to be gone and going to Shing kind of sucks. So it is nice to have her around. But I think, like, how you said, like, what was my favorite part of the episode? And thinking about the episode back, I, this is my favorite part. Because a character that I didn't really care, not didn't care for, but never really thought much about. And now I'm like, I like this character a lot. Uh, is Heinkel. And I'm loving this character. Because he deduces the signal. I mean, a little too late. But he figures it out. And that speech he gives out about the Philosopher's Stone, about how, yes, it's made from souls, but, you know, those souls would want to keep fighting and they would want to be a part of saving the world. So use the stone, but use it to give these people, like, justice and let these people be a part of uh, saving the world. That was an amazing speech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely liked that with Heinkel and how he was able to help Al rationalize and using the stone. Because, yeah, it's like, hey, these souls, you know, these souls are stuck in the stone, but you still recognize that they're human. So instead of seeing them as like a source of energy or something that you can use to improve your alchemy, give them the chance to fight by using them and fighting alchemy. So, I mean, that was, yeah, that was definitely awesome. And, and, like, and we see Al, you know, um, get his legs back and he's going to start. We don't know what's going out, but 
he's got the stone now and he he seems like he's gotten this boost that speech boosted me up i was like i'm ready to do something so i'm excited to see this next episode yes me too why don't we just jump right into it and see how al had handles himself let's see here so the next episode is combined strength al continues to fight against kimberly and pride it is clear that they are unable to fight with Al when he has the stone. He is able to hold his own just fine. And he is able to outwit them and capture Pride in another like rock cone type thing. Only this one is much smaller than that dome. Uh, it's pretty much just for Pride. Kimberly begins to get a little philosophical with Al. Kimberly, Kimberly asks, you know, why don't you just use the stone to get your body back? Just, you know, run away. You can do it easily. Uh, you leave the country and your, you and your brother can get your bodies back. Al says he wants to save everyone. He doesn't necessarily believe that as a binary choice. Uh, Kimberly tries to bring up equivalent exchange, you know, okay, so you're giving up your life to save other people's lives. But he's, you know, he's saying, well, why can't I save everybody's life and get my body back? He thinks he can do both. But then Kimberly points up the possibility that there is a world where they don't save everybody and they don't get their body back. He reveals that he has a stone and destroys the prison that Pride's in. The Armstrong siblings continue to fight Sloth. He isn't going down easily, as to be expected. Soldiers appear to arrest Olivier. Sloth then shows that he has a very interesting skill in that he is the fastest-moving homunculus. He is too fast to counter, but he is also so fast that he's not able to control his movements, so it doesn't look like he can control the direction that he's going. In fighting, Olivier loses her footing and is subsequently attacked by Sloth. Pride comes out of his cone prison. Kimberly and Pride figure Alphonse has to be around, and, you know, Kimberly throws some pebbles into the air and listens for it to clang. Al continues to fight, but he really is just kicking up dust. Uh, Pride successfully subdues Al, but then Al reveals that he doesn't have the stone on him anymore, and he says that he's not fighting alone. They realize that Al was just kicking up the dust so that they can see the direction of the wind, and so that must mean that there is somebody downwind of Pride. Out of nowhere, we see Heinkel, fully healed, jump and attack Kimberly's throat, and as Kimberly falls out of the corner of his eye, he sees Dr. Marco, who has a Philosopher's Stone. So presumably Dr. Marco was able to heal Heinkel, and Heinkel is taking out Kimberly. Mustang and team are planning on breaking in. They hear that everybody is looking for an ice cream truck. That's what they escaped in. So he uses his alchemy to make it look like a meat delivery truck. Mustang then splits with the rest of the team, taking Riza Hawkeye with him and they decide to enter the building and make their way to father we then jump to like a pretty cool sequence with the musical track over it where ed and the team are fighting the mannequins scar decides that their best bet is to destroy their legs that way they can't walk ed is hesitant at first mainly because you know he thinks that they're people but then he realizes they're not people at all they might be powered by souls but they are far from being a human uh, he joins them in the fight. He creates a spear and, or a halberd, I guess you could say, and cuts at their legs. 
then we go back to the Armstrong fight and we realize that Sloth was not able to attack Olivier because Alex was able to jump in between them and he is holding off Sloth and protecting Olivier from the attack. He is able to knock Sloth out and he falls down a hole, but then the hole collapses and the Armstrongs fall down that hollow well. Pride is about to kill Heinkel, but then he stops when Kimberly puts Heinkel, or when, I'm sorry, when Heinkel puts Kimberly in front of him. For whatever reason, Pride doesn't want to kill Kimberly. Pride then mocks the team for not giving up. Pride then goes to attack Marco, but out of nowhere, Yoki shows up in a car and he hits Pride. Everyone runs into the car and they barely escape. Heinkel throws out Kimberly as if he were a ragdoll. Pride attacks, but really only manages to cut off the top of the car. The team's still able to escape. Pride sees a dying Kimberly. He's alive, but he's unable to really talk as his windpipe was crushed by Heinkel. And he's quite obviously bleeding out. Pride decides to ingest Kimberly to get his soul and the philosopher's stone that he keeps in his stomach. And that's pretty much the last we see of Kimberly. Olivier comes to after falling down the hole and sees that there are central soldiers in this room and they are kind of in awe. They look and it looks like Alex has transmuted a giant spike that has impaled Sloth. Then Olivier and Alex have a pretty you know, funny Armstrong conversation about how the soldiers have an order to kill her and Alex is concerned because, well, if she dies... Like, he has to take over the mansion, and that's too much work for him. But then she says, oh, well, it doesn't matter, because if I die, I willed it all to Mustang anyway, which gets him upset. So there's just this little back and forth going. Then we hear gunshots in the hall, and apparently we have visitors. Mannequins have entered the room. Olivier is kind of offended because at first the central soldiers say, are these things from Briggs? And he's like, we would... You know, Briggs would never have soldiers like this. Olivier tells them that, you know, the upper leadership have created these monsters and have likely sent them. The soldiers say they don't know anything about it, but, you know, really that doesn't matter. They are lowly soldiers, so the upper management doesn't really care. Sloth is slowly beginning to regenerate, so they'll have to fight him soon. Olivier gives the soldiers a choice. And she actually puts the soldier's gun to her head and says, you can either kill me, but then you'll ultimately be killed by the mannequins, or you can team up with us and fight them. We jump back to the tunnel and Envy is attacking Mei Chang, but she is able to dodge. Anytime Envy seems to grab one of the mannequins, he absorbs them. So Mei Chang figures that, hey, she, there's no way she can, she can fight against all the mannequins, but she can dodge Envy all day long. So that's what she continues to do. Jumping back to Team Ed, they are fighting the mannequins, and they're just more and more and more, and they are getting tired. They're running out of weapons, all of that. And Ed is about to get attacked from above, but then all of a sudden, they are saved by an explosion, and would you know it, Mustang and Riza have appeared. So a lot is happening as they're getting closer, and they're fighting all these weird armies, and everybody's doing their own battle. What were your takeaways? I think I screamed... At my TV, and not screamed, like cheered at my TV the most this episode. There were just moments where I was like, yes, this character's coming 
back and he's kicking butt and I'm like this episode had a lot of moments where you thought our heroes were down and then there's a another character comes in and you're like this is awesome this episode is awesome probably this has become one of my favorite episodes it's definitely in the top five Yeah, I think this is definitely, like, this definitely feels like like the Avengers of Full Metal Alchemist. Like, everybody's starting to team up. Like, this is the Infinity War almost because everybody's teamed up, but they're also splintered. Like how, you know, in Infinity War, they had the Wakanda fight and the Titan fight and stuff. It seems like it's kind of the same thing where we have Olivier doing her battle with Armstrong and those people. And then Ed has his fight going on. And then, of course, Mei Chang is running though granted you know inevitably they're all going to run into each other but yeah it's just seeing all these this this, these disparate fights taking place but they're all fighting the same enemy ultimately yes and i loved at the beginning of this episode it's al fighting uh pride and al's juiced up with the philosopher stone he's got it and pride grabs him and al's gonna throw out that flash bomb and pride cuts in half and I love this moment. It's these small things that I love. And now it's like decoy, and a little f- the flash bomb comes like it's under his foot, and it like explodes. I love when Al says decoy. It's just it's hilarious, and it's just everything I needed at that moment. Yeah, Al. Is, that's one of Al's humor, and it's also one of the times we get to see Al like really go at it fighting. Granted, he always fights, but now that he's powered by the Philosopher's Stone, and he's like you know, able to create swords out of nothing or when a limb gets cut off, he's able to regenerate it. It's a very different fight that we've than what we've seen in the past, and I love it. And we got that fight going on, but then we got the Armstrong uh, duos fight, which is pretty cool because it's great seeing them fight side by side. And then they throw these small jabs at each other uh, in between each kind of kind of break that they get. Yeah, I like how they are arguing about like probate law and whatnot and who gets the mansion while they're being surrounded by soldiers and Olivia knows they want to kill her and everything and they just they kind of break from that and the only thing that kind of stops them is when they see the uh, mannequins come in and they realize, oh, time for us to fight again. So it's almost like they didn't even acknowledge that the that the central soldiers were a threat. It's just the it's just the uh, the mannequins, and it, it's great because for them too, they are like, we can handle this. We're fighters. We can do whatever comes our way. We're able to handle it. So we need to hash out the mansion details while these soldiers are are completely worried about what's going on and it's just a a great moment you know priorities Uh uh-huh yep and then of course you know what's his face uh sloth starts to come too so now they have to deal with him but it was just funny to watch that their dynamics as a family and what a moment where sloth is going after olivier and it's Alex that it stops him. And it's just it's just a great moment. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we 
it definitely looks like they hate each other or whatnot, but I think it's just your regular run-of-the-mill sibling rivalry and deep down they really love each other and care about each other because yeah, she he came to her rescue twice, like when when he was squeezing or when Sloth was squeezing her to death and he shows up and punches her, but then of course when Sloth is running at her and she's unable to defend, uh he gets in between them and holds him off. Which I and we, it's just like this great moment. And then when Sloth comes up again and Olivia's kind of, I guess she blacked out and she's kind of coming to you and all the soldiers are kind of gasping, looking behind her. And she's like, what happened? What's going on? And she turns around and you don't really know what's behind her just yet. And I, I for me, I was like, oh man, did something happen to Alex? Like, did he sacrifice himself? Is this, Olivier's driving moment that's going to push her more into the fight. But we find out that, you know, Alex just like shoved a giant pillar through Sloth's mouth. Yeah, and he's like beaten up bad. Like he's just cut into and everything. It's, uh, there's a small part of you that feels bad for Sloth, and you remember like he's pure evil and everything, and you don't, but still. And I do. And I, I, I was thinking about this like since like last episode we were talking about how Olivier sees just like kind of black and white and she doesn't like the gray area. It does feel like Alex understands the gray area. Um, you know, he, like how he didn't want to join like in the war in Ishval, how he didn't want to kind of participate in that, and how he sees different sides to people. I, I feel like Alex understands this gray area and that's what puts him at odds with Olivier at, at times. Yeah. Well, and also I think to that point, I think Olivier is more hardened, um, kind of emotionless almost in a lot of ways, whereas Alex seems to definitely have a heart, you know, she calls out Alex for crying and abandoning his post during the, the Ishvalan civil war. So I, th- I don't know if it's just an act and she wants to appear tougher than everybody else or if that's genuinely who she is. But between the two, like for what you see in the show, he definitely seems to have be more in touch with his feelings. True. And I, I forgot what Alex says, but he's injured and she says, like, are you OK? And did he say like some broken bones or something? He said, what about you? And she's like, just some fractures. Yeah, she had a fractured, like fractured ribs or something. And then he, his, um, his shoulder was, uh, what was it? Like his shoulder was displaced or something like that. Oh, yeah, so. yeah. He was like, I got a displaced shoulder. And she's like, ah, oh, I just got some fractures. I like how they're going back. It's kind of like that back and forth. Where he's like, I'm injured. She's like, well, I'm injured too, but we're still going to fight. Yeah. Yeah. They, well, they're soldiers. And so they're going to fight and. Also, I think they both know what the risk is and not fighting. Like, this isn't really a fight that they can walk away from because if they don't win the day, then the whole country is going to fall. And on that note, we go to the ice cream truck where they're like, hey, be on the lookout for ice cream truck. It's not full of ice cream, everyone. It's full of guns and weapons. So all the soldiers inside Central are looking for Mm -hmm. an ice cream truck. And what does Mustang convert the truck into? It's a meat truck. With 
A meat a truck. A meat truck with a yep. cartoon character on the side of it. Basically, like, so close to the ice cream truck. And I love they're driving past these two soldiers, and they're like, we're looking for an ice cream truck, right? And the other one's like, yep, ice cream truck. And then the meat truck just, like, drives right past them. I can't help but think that they might be dumb or something. Like, they know, they live in a world of alchemy, and they know he's an alchemist. Like, they couldn't, I mean, I guess the soldiers aren't well-trained or something. Like, wouldn't they have pieced together that it's possible that, uh, I don't know that like that he that 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 he, that he could transmute the truck. Like, why look for a specific? They should stop every truck because you know with equivalent exchange, he can't make the truck smaller or larger than it actually is. So you know, just stop any truck that comes by. But then again, we wouldn't have the show, so I shouldn't be looking at plot holes. True, but it just it, and it's a great comic break in this episode, but. That truck had like a cartoon pig on the side of it. Yeah, that's always the annoying thing when we, uh, whenever there's like a chicken restaurant or something like that, and then you see a cartoon chicken on the front, and I'm like, that's just gross. That's like cannibalism, having the cartoon pig with like sausage links and whatever. I. It's just, it is a great moment where and the, just the truck passing and them, those two soldiers asking each other, like, ice cream truck? And it's like, yep, ice cream truck. So just, you know, just ignore this meat truck. It was, it was a great break in between our two kind of big fights that are going on. Yeah, I liked, um, not liked, but it was interesting because we saw Pride consume gluttony not too long ago but now he actually consumed a person he consumed uh kimberly and i quite didn't understand um like that like is he turning kimberly into a philosopher's stone or has kimberly used a philosopher's stone so much that he's basically one i think it's both because kimberly stores the philosopher's stone in his stomach uh, and we see him like regurgitate it when he needs to use it. So my guess is he figured that was the quickest way to consume him. And then I think he also wanted to eat his soul to add it to his own philosopher's stone. So, I mean, I, my guess is if he killed, uh, my guess is if he just flattened, flat out killed Kimberly, like he would lose his soul and he wouldn't be able to get the philosopher, get his soul added to the philosopher's stone. So. I guess that, like, because on one hand, I'm thinking, well, why doesn't he just, like, rip into him and take the, the stone out of his stomach? But I guess they figure, well, also, Kimberly's in a position where he can't necessarily run away. So, yeah, I guess he just consumed him as is. Though now that I think about it, I wonder if that's, like, a little bit of gluttony inside Pride. You know, gluttony would just always eat people. So is that a little bit of gluttony's kind of personality coming through? I think so, because you kind of see him lick his lips at the beginning which you don't really see him do much until after he consumes glut around the time he consumes gluttony. So yeah. So that's interesting. But cause at first I thought, Oh, he can't let Kimberly die. Cause Kimberly must be one of these people they need, you know, like, I don't know. It's a short list. Is Mustang on that list of people that they, they want to keep around. 
Yeah, they mentioned that because I guess like they need people who've opened the gate before. And I guess so far they only have four with Hohenheim, the Elric brothers and teacher. And I guess they need to find a fourth one and or fifth one rather and force him to open the door. And I know there was an earlier episode in season three where the generals are all at a table and they're discussing who to possibly get as another sacrifice. And they bring up Kimberly's uh, name, but they say he might not have the nerve to open the gate. And then they bring up Mustang. So yeah, they just, they need one more sacrifice for this promised day. And so I think that's why he didn't want to attack Kimberly because he didn't know if Kimberly was alive or dead and he was a a candidate. But then I guess his, I don't know, I guess either a combination of his gluttony or him just realizing that there's no way Kimberly's going to survive another 10 minutes in this state so i might as well just consume him yeah so yeah because i was wondering like the kind of the same thing are they keeping kimberly does he not want to keep kimberly because you know he's a perfect candidate but before that that was this is one of the moments where i yelled at my tv when heinko comes out and just clamps down on kimberly i was like yes this is exactly what needs to happen. Uh, you know, it's every uh, worker's revenge on their boss. It feels like, you know, you treated me badly and now, you know, the tables have turned. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So let finally see Kimberly get his comeuppance. And I mean, clearly he's not going to be around anymore. And he lost to Heinkel and seeing how badly he's treated Heinkel up to this point, too. It was definitely nice to see Heinkel get the one up on him. There's, which is awesome because I was, I was feeling like maybe Heinkel was is dead, because he was not looking good at the end of the last episode. Yeah, he was not because he, you know, he was already pretty beaten up from when he fought Pride the night before because we already saw him in like bandages and everything. But then Kimberly shows up and causes that explosion, which only injures him more. So he was not in good shape, but yeah, Marco showed up and healed him. Oh, and then Marco shows up and I'm like, yes, Marco's here too. It's it's just me yelling at my TV and my dog thinking I'm crazy. But Marco coming back and Marco's fearless now. He He's like, I need to go into this battle. I need to be a part of this. I can't just let everyone fight around me. You know, I need to... Um, help save the world and marco's amazing now yes i love that about marco is that now he's like he's i mean we've seen him we've seen that come out to him a little bit over time like how he fought envy and destroyed his stone and whatnot but uh yeah marco is definitely wanting to fight because i think he just realizes that there's just way too much at stake for him to not fight and then pride is gonna kill marco and then Yoki shows up and he hits her with a car and it's like wow this guy finally is stepping up to the game and he and he's they get in the car and he's like I can't just let you guys save the world and you know I stand on the side I don't want to be left out on this saving the world thing yeah he's always the coward so it is very interesting to see him actually be brave for a chance and you know he's not quite as humble about it because he's like and I hit the the strongest one of them all, the homuncular, which was very, it's it's still jarring seeing uh, Pride get hit by a car because Pride is looks like Salim and Salim is a little child. 
So kind of see him flying in the air because a car just hit him. It's still a little jarring, but, you know, he is an evil homunculus. So I'll, I'll let it slide. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I guess it is weird because he is in the body of a kid to see, like, a car just strike him and knock him to the ground. But it's also evil, so you don't really care. And and it, now it feels like, because now we got Al, Marco, Heinkel, and Yoki going to Central. So that's is it, I feel like that's the last of our group that's not in Central right now. Yep, they're headed to Central because they've got to. I mean, they're, you know, the whole purpose of Al staying behind was to make sure that Pride couldn't uh, escape. But now Pride can escape. So, you know, what what's left to do? So they're going to Central. Um, we've got the Armstrong siblings fighting Sloth. So, you know, they're handling that. And a whole bunch of mannequins. we got Ed, Scar, and the rest of the Chimera team fighting mannequins down near the door. And then we get Mustang joining them, which is awesome. Oh, not just Mustang, but Mustang and Hawkeye. And it's like our team is slowly getting put together. And it's it's so exciting. Yes. I can't wait to see what happens next in the future episodes and how they, man, how they get past it all. True. And we're not even, I, I mean, we got another season after this. so That's true. I'm excited to see what happens. Me too. I can't wait to see what happens next. Uh, I think that's all I've got. What about you? Yep, that's all. I gave it all. Sweet. Well, we will see you guys next week as we talk more about the Battle of Central City. Uh, Until then, my name is Jason. I'm Jimmy. Bye. Bye. Bye.